Well, hello, my friends. The grace and peace of our Lord and Savior be with you. I want to welcome you to the Sermons from the Cornfield podcast, a weekly podcast where the sermons that I preach each and every Sunday are uploaded for you to listen to and review. My name is Pastor Mark O'Neill, and I hope you enjoy this week's podcast. God bless. Our sermon text this morning takes us to the Gospel of Mark, the first chapter. Verses 21 through 28. Again, this is Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 28. They, Jesus and the disciples, went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, he, Jesus, entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. They were all amazed, and they kept on asking one another, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once, his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. Friends, this is the word of God for you and I, the children of God. Thanks be to God. I grew up right across the street from my elementary school. We lived on a dead-end street that was on the back side of the school property. And so each morning I would walk to school and every afternoon I would walk back home from school. The whole trip took probably five minutes at the most, depending on where my classroom was. The whole time I was in elementary school from kindergarten through fifth grade, we had the exact same assistant principal. Now. I don't know exactly how tall he actually was, but at that age, he seemed to be at least seven, maybe even eight feet tall. He had broad shoulders, a good, I don't know, two, three, four feet across. He had a deep, booming voice. That wasn't it. That wasn't the worst part. In his office, hanging on the wall behind his desk chair, was a paddle big, broad, wooden paddle. And there were stories about that paddle, about the poor souls who found themselves on the wrong side of school rules and the punishment inflicted once he shut his office door and reached for that paddle. Now understand, neither I nor anybody that I knew had ever met with such punishment. None of us had firsthand knowledge of anybody else that may have met first met that kind of kind of punishment. We had no verifiable proof that any such punishment actually took place, other than the fact that there was that paddle in his office. But we had all heard these stories, and we all didn't want to be part of any kind of punishment of that sort. So we all did our best to behave. In fact, I only had one run-in with him the entire time I was in school there, some six years. 
Each year in the springtime, our school would have an awards day assembly in the auditorium where all the kids who made uh, straight A's or had perfect attendance or got the presidential fitness medal, whatever it was, were all honored in front of their classmates and teachers. I guess I had somewhat of a reputation in regards to my writing, <clears throat> so I was asked to not just write, but also recite a poem in regards to awards day as part of the ceremony. And so I sat down and wrote what I thought was a pretty good poem, and I and another student had also been chosen to write and recite something. Both of us went to the auditorium for a practice one afternoon. I assumed it was going to be in front of some of our teachers, but instead it was just the two of us and the assistant principal. I was on stage, the other student was off stage. The assistant principal took a seat in the very back of the auditorium. And I found a little masking tape X that I was told to stand on. And with my poem in hand, I began to recite what I had written. I got through maybe the first line when I heard this voice come from the back of the auditorium louder. It scared the mess out of me. But I composed myself and I started again. I got about maybe two or three lines in with the same voice from the back of the auditorium. Louder! It echoed through the auditorium. I felt my legs start to shake a little bit. I thought to myself, well, I could just run home. I live just across the street. But I didn't. And so I start again, and I'm trying to keep that lump that's starting to, to swell up in my throat down. I get about halfway through the poem, and again, louder! And so now, I'm sweating. And my voice is most certainly cracking. I feel a tear or two welling up in my eyes. And so I all but shout this poem out at the top of my lungs. And when I'm done, I'm shaking. I'm breathing heavy. There's this silence. And then the voice says, Next! And I look over at my classmate who was standing there off stage. Her eyes were as big as saucers, her mouth wide open. She couldn't move. She was paralyzed by fear. That was how he exercised his authority, by striking fear into the hearts of the students. I dare say that many of you maybe have had similar experiences when someone else's authority has been exercised in such a way. Maybe you bristled under it. Maybe you thrived under it. All of us have stories about authority figures, don't we? And most times it's because we didn't like some aspect of it. But when you think about it, we submit to authority all the time. We submit to the authority of our employers because why? Well, we want to stay employed. We submit to the authority of the banks who have our mortgages or our or our car loans because we, we want to keep a roof over our head. We want to keep our automobile. We submit to the authority of different laws and ordinances at the local and state and federal level because we believe that they keep us safe and keep the peace. Growing up, we would submit to the authority of our teachers because we wanted to learn. We submitted to the authority of our coaches because we wanted to get better at our sports and earn more playing time. Certainly those that have served or do serve in the armed forces know all about authority. 
in regards to the chain of command. So I found it interesting this week that in our gospel lesson from Mark that there were two references to the authority of our Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus. Now when we talk about our walk with the Lord being one in which we submit our lives to the lordship of or the kingship of or the authority of Christ Jesus, I think we have a working knowledge of what that means. It means we're going to do our best to live the kind of lives that God wishes us to live. But it's so much more than that, my friend. It's so much more important than that. We submit to the worldly authorities because we typically get something out of it. A paycheck, a possession, some sense of security or peace, a, the achievement of some kind of a goal. And that's all well and good. But all that stuff is temporary. All that stuff will eventually fade away. But submitting to the authority of Christ Jesus gives us something that never fades and never ends, that being an eternity spent in peace with our Father in heaven. How? Well, through victory in our spiritual war with the devil and evil spirits. One of the great tragedies of our time, I feel, is the complete ignorance of spiritual warfare. Because educated people don't talk about Satan. Educated people don't talk about evil spirits. Educated people don't believe in ghost stories. All this talk about devils and spirits and evil and spiritual war warfare, well, that's just for the ignorant masses who are afraid of the dark. But my friends, to ignore it, to pretend it doesn't exist, means that the devil has already won. But understand me that evil spirits unclean spirits, Satan, spiritual warfare, all of it exists. All of it is very real. The battle between the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of God very much takes place in our lives, in our communities, and dare I say, in our sanctuaries. Jesus and his disciples are in Capernaum. And on the Sabbath day, they go to the synagogue for services. Jesus teaches. Now we are told that those that heard him were astounded because he didn't teach like the scribes did, but he taught as one that had real authority. And I'll stop there for a moment. Rabbis at the time, depending on the synagogue, typically acted with some administrative authority. And so what happened is that when folks would gather on the Sabbath, the rabbis would pick folks to read scripture and do the teaching for that particular day's service. And given the relative low literacy rates of the ancient Near East at the time, typically the ones picked to read and then teach were the scribes. But the teaching was more along the lines of, well, Rabbi so-and-so would want us to know dot, dot, dot. Or, as you may remember, Rabbi so-and-so telling us dot, dot, dot. So when Jesus gets up, not only to read the Hebrew scriptures, but also to teach them, and he teaches them in his own voice, and not as some mouthpiece of another rabbi, well, those in the synagogue immediately took notice. I mean, after all, they are hearing the word from the word made flesh, are they not? 
Jesus is here teaching with the authority that can only come from the pleasure of God and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is completely different than some scribe simply quoting another rabbi. So right away, the congregation has taken notice. There's something going on here. They can all sense it and they can all feel it. And then Jesus is interrupted. It says, just then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. Right there, in church. Not outside, not out on the street, not hanging out by the Jordan River. Right there, in church, sitting in the pews. Probably a regular attender of the services there. And listen more closely to the language of the unclean spirit. The Spirit confronts Jesus and says what? He says, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Notice that here the evil spirit is speaking in the plural. He says us. Now, Mark clearly tells us that the spirit is singular because he says a man with an unclean spirit. That's one. And also notice that Jesus rebukes the spirit and speaks to it in second person singular imperatives. And yet the evil spirit speaks in the plural. Why is that? Well, depending on the commentary you read, some say that this is a case where the Spirit is one of many, like the situation later on in this same gospel in chapter 5, verse 9. Or it could be that the Spirit is speaking of an entire realm of uncleanliness. Or it could be the Spirit is intentionally trying to deceive Jesus, presenting itself as many when it is really just one. But here's what I wonder. I wonder if the speaker, or the spirit here rather, that is speaking is making a much bolder claim. Is it possible that the unclean spirit is claiming all the people in the synagogue as its own? I mean, this unclean spirit has already laid claim to this one man. And this same spirit is later able to make him go into convulsions, so is it possible that this spirit sees things a little differently than we do? Because, I mean, we look out and we see the synagogue and we see God's people there gathered in worship. The evil spirit, though, I think sees all the uncleanliness of those gathered for worship and lays claim to all that is unclean as its own. God's people have here gathered for worship while there is a war going on. And in this war, there are two sides, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. There is no middle ground. Either you are God's or you are Satan's. And the evil spirit looks out that entire synagogue and sees all the uncleanliness and says, these are mine. And yet when the spirit first appears in the story, Mark makes it sound like there is maybe some middle ground. Because it says, and immediately there was in their synagogue 
a man with an unclean spirit. You catch that? In their synagogue. Not a synagogue that belongs to God, not a synagogue that belongs to Satan, but one that belongs to the people of Capernaum. So the Spirit then makes its claim on them. Its claim is that all the people gathered there in worship are possessions of the unclean spirit and or Satan. Why? Because of their uncleanliness. They are unclean and can't possibly be in the presence of the most holy one of God. And because God won't have anything to do with those that are unclean, the Spirit cries out and reveals that the people of Capernaum, all gathered there in worship, because they are so unclean, are under the threat of being claimed by Satan. And so what are you going to do about it, Jesus? What are you going to do about it? Are you going to destroy everybody there sitting in the synagogue because of their uncleanliness? What are you going to do? And then Jesus reveals who he truly is. He's more than a man from Nazareth. He's more than a teacher with authority. He is the Christ. And this is his synagogue. These are his people. His rule is over all things, both visible and invisible. His power is a power without equal. He has come into the world not just to fight against Satan, but to defeat him. He will set free all the people that Satan claims as his own. I mean, that is Jesus' mission, after all, is it not? And the exorcism that Jesus performs on this man answers the unclean spirit's question in the affirmative that yes, the Holy One of God has in fact come to destroy. To destroy the works of the evil one. To destroy the power that sin and death has on the lives of God's beloved children. Once freed from the power of sin, a child of God is then free to cooperate with the presence of God's grace and to hear his endearing voice. And friends, this scenario not only played out in Capernaum many years ago, but continues to play out today in our lives, our communities, our churches. Because whether we want to admit it or not, when we gather for worship, there are unclean spirits present. Each one of us has something in our lives that we need to recognize and repent of. Each one of us is susceptible to being claimed by Satan as his own, crafted by this lie that is whispered into our hearts and minds. God doesn't want anything to do with you. You know what you've done. You know what you've said. You know what you've thought. So does God. Do you really think that you are good enough? That you are clean enough to stand before God? It's too late for you. God doesn't want to have anything to do with you. Just keep on doing what you're doing. Sisters and brothers, 
Don't believe it. Do not believe a word of it. When that whisper starts to make its way into your ears, stand on the authority of God. Proclaim the authority of Christ Jesus. Say, no, this, this is his church. And we are his people. His rule is over all things, both visible and invisible. His power is a power without equal. He has come into this world not just to fight against Satan, but to defeat Satan. And he will set free all the people that Satan claims as his own. How are the unclean made clean? How are the captives to sin and death set free? Solely by the gracious work of Jesus, bearing the curse of our uncleanliness on the cross, that he might rise and bring the blessing of God's holiness to us. For almost a year now, we have been experiencing the disruptive effects of COVID. And I think that one of the things that has happened is that it has changed how we view worship. We have begun to see why worship is truly a gift, whether it be in person or virtually. We've come to understand that we are Christ's church. The one we worship is the one that has come to rescue us from the power of Satan. And so, yes, friends, we live very much in the midst of a battle. Satan seeks to lay claim on all of our lives. But for us, my dear sisters and brothers, on our side fights the valiant one, our Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus. Christ who claims us as his own. And so when the devil tries to tempt you or to trip you up with any of his nonsense, remember that he is a coward. That he will most certainly flee when we say to him, I belong to Christ. I claim the authority of Christ on my life. And if you feel that he can't hear you, then in the words of my former assistant principal, may I offer to you this advice. Louder. By your words and your actions. Louder. By prayer and scripture and devotions. Louder. By meeting in small groups and coming to worship. Louder. Louder, louder, and he will most certainly flee. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. I hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Until next time, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. God bless.